real stories that Jesus is doing real things in their lives. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, thank you for, uh, thank you for coming once as a baby. Thank you that you promise over and over again in Scripture that you will come back. And we celebrate you and worship you, Jesus. And thank you for what you're doing not only in our lives, but in the lives of these 11 people who you have drawn to yourself and that you have saved and that you have um, made go from, uh, from death to life. Lord, we thank you. We also pray that they would know you, not only as Savior, but as Lord and as friend. Uh, Jesus, that they would say yes to following uh, or responding to your invitation to follow you. Um, and Lord, we pray for Smiley as he comes to speak. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our, our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts, um, that we would know and experience and lean into the grace and knowledge that you promise that comes from your word. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Strider. This time of year in the church is called Advent, which means coming. And historically, what the church has done is to look back to Jesus' first coming. That's what we did on on Christmas Eve, didn't we? We looked back and we learned how Jesus saves us uh, from our sins. But historically, the church would also, during the season, look ahead to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look ahead to Jesus' second coming. Uh, matter of fact, what we're going to unpack today is that Jesus is coming again. As we finish this year, we finish our walk through First and Second Peter. And what we've been seeking to do throughout this study has been to equip you to follow Jesus in an increasingly hostile culture. In 2 Peter in particular, Peter is trying to equip us to know Jesus so well that we're not led astray by false teaching. And so where we left off 2 Peter a couple of weeks ago, Tim was speaking, and what he shared with us is that the Bible is one story. The gospel is the one story of the Bible, but it has four chapters. We learned about creation and fall and redemption and consummation. And uh, what we learned in chapter 3, that's Christmas, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. But today we're going to explore chapter 4, consummation, that Jesus is coming back, and that's what we're going to explore today. So if you have your Bible, <clears throat> turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, and this morning we're going to be looking at where are we headed? 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Jesus promised He's coming back. He's not slow, but He is patient. That Jesus has delayed His, his return to give people the opportunity to be saved. We know he, he waited till at least Christmas Eve so that 11 people could say yes to Him. But... The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus is coming back. And his return is one of the major doctrines of the New Testament. Over 300 times in the New Testament alone, the Bible talks about Jesus coming back. That means one in about every 13 verses in the New Testament is speaking about that day, the day, the day of the Lord's return. Um, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And a thief means it will be unannounced and unexpected in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and all the earth and its works will be burned up. 
since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Do you know in the Bible there's only two days? Did you know that? In the Bible, the two days are today and that day. The only two days in the Bible are today and that day the Lord comes back. And what the Bible says is we should live today in light of, in light of that day, right? Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for? What the Bible says is we should wake up each day and look for this might be the day Jesus comes back. So people often ask me, Smiley, do you believe we're in the last days? Yes. You know why? Because the Bible teaches the days between Jesus' first coming and his second coming are the last days. So yes, we're in the last days. Uh, the only thing we don't know is how last we are in the last days. But I do know this, we are closer we are closer to the return of Jesus than the church has ever been before. I know that. So notice we are looking for, it could be today, and hastening the coming of the day of God. We're actually hastening, speeding that up. And you say, well, how can we do that? Well, Jesus taught us that something needed to happen before he came back. In Matthew 24, he said, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That Jesus has people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people, and as we're involved both locally and around the world in helping to plant churches, that as people are one to Christ all over the world, we are hastening his return. The whole world is going to hear the gospel before Jesus comes back because he has his people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. I mean, do you ever wonder why the moment we believe we're not just beamed up into heaven? I mean, once we come, why aren't we beamed up? We are here for others. We're here because Jesus works through his church. He works through people like you and me sharing the gospel to call his people to himself. And I, and I have a verse that I find so encouraging. It's John chapter 10. Sometimes we're hesitant to share our faith because we think, well, gee, you know, we're just not all that articulate. But what I want to show you is when we share the gospel, people don't hear our voice. They hear the voice of Jesus calling his people to himself. John 10, 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. The reason Jesus hasn't come back is the full number of his people hasn't, hasn't come in yet. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. He's going to save all of his people before he comes back. I must bring them also and they shall hear my voice. Isn't that nice to know? I mean, when we're sharing the gospel, they don't hear our voice. They hear Jesus calling his people to himself. They shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. So listen, Jesus is coming back. It, it could be today. We're looking. We're looking for that day. We're hastening that day. We're, we're taking advantage of every day we have to share the gospel with people so that Jesus could call his people to himself looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Don't you long to live on earth? Don't, don't you love earth? And wouldn't you love to live on earth where righteousness dwells? 
The reason we long for that is we were created for a person and a place, for a person and a place. Again, the one story of the Bible is the gospel, but it has four chapters. Chapter one, in the beginning, God created us for a person and a place. In the beginning, God, the person we were made for, walked with man on earth, and it was paradise, right? That's what we long for because that's what it was like at one time. Of course, we say, that, well, what happened? Well, then man sinned against God, right? And when man sinned against God, no person, no place, we were separated from God. And, and listen, all of, all of creation was, was broken through man's sin. And then there's chapter 3 that we just celebrated at Christmas where God becomes a man to save sinners. And the moment we believe in Jesus, we get to do life with the person that we were created for, but we're not in that place. Chapter 4 is when Jesus comes back for all of eternity, we're going to do life with the person in the place we were created for in the first place. So I want you to know what will happen when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, all the people who have ever lived, they will rise bodily from the grave. Our bodies will be raised up, and all the people that have ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and those who die in their sins will be cast into hell forever. And those who have put their trust in Jesus will live with Jesus forever with new bodies on a new earth. So let's walk back through that. What happens to unbelievers who die now? To understand what happens to unbelievers, let's think for a moment about someone who commits a, a real serious crime. Someone commits a crime, they get arrested, where do they go? to jail. Well, what's jail? Jail is a temporary place where you wait your day in court, right? So you're in jail. It's a temporary place, and you're waiting what? You're waiting for, your day. You're waiting for the judgment day, right? You're waiting for your day in court. If you're found guilty, they then send you to, to prison. What is prison? It's kind of like jail, but it's what a long-term holding place. So when an unbeliever dies, his body is laid in the grave and his spirit goes to hell where he will await the resurrection of his body, the final judgment, and then he will be cast both body and hell into hell, both body and spirit into hell. You see, hell is no person, no place. It's being without God and without the things that we all enjoy in this place. Hell is no person and no place. Well, what happens to a believer when they die? What happens to a believer? When a believer dies, his body is laid in the grave, and he immediately goes to be with Jesus in paradise, right? But listen, one day soon, when Jesus comes back, heaven is going to come to earth. And the believer's body is going to be raised up, and the believer is going to be... Uh, he, on the judgment day, he's going to face no condemnation for all of eternity. He's going to live with a new body on a new earth, person and place forever. We're going to dwell on an earth where there's no racism or no domestic violence and no cancer and no death and no tornadoes. We're going to experience paradise on earth, enjoying the person and the place that we were created for forever. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth. Heaven is going to come to earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved. Isn't it great to know the world might hate us, that 
that God loves us. We are beloved of God. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. I want you to know the gospel is not opposed to effort. The gospel is not opposed to effort about being diligent. The gospel is opposed to earning, doing things so that we could earn God's love. Religion says you have to earn God's love, and the gospel says no. <laughs> when Jesus loves us, when Jesus captures our hearts with his love, we gladly follow him and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, that we should regard Jesus delaying his return as an opportunity for us to be saved and do everything we can to save as many people as we can. Verse 13 about regard, or 15, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation refers us back to verse 9, right? Where it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Jesus delays his return to give people an opportunity to be saved. So if someone asks you, are you saved? What would you say? Uh, yes, I hope, right? And, but then the question is, saved from what? When we say, are you saved, saved from what? And then, are you saved by what? What are we saved by, and what are we saved for? It's really important that we understand what are we saved from, what are we saved by, and what are we saved for. And what the gospel teaches is we're saved from God. We're saved from God's wrath. We're saved by God's grace. We're saved by faith in Christ, and we're saved for God so that we could enjoy God now and forever. Let me show you that in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved from God, by God, for God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Well, why do we need to be saved from God? Because God is just. And the bad news of the gospel is we've sinned against God in thought, in word, in deed over and over again, and the just God says what we deserve for our sin is his wrath, what we deserve is hell. We're saved from God's wrath by God's grace, God's love for sinners. God the Son left heaven and came to earth to save sinners. He lived a perfect life for us. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. He took our sins upon himself, died in our place, and then he rose on the third day, proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us salvation, a salvation from God's wrath, a salvation by God's grace, so that we could enjoy him now and forever. Have, have you been saved? If you have, won't you? Notice what he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. We're saved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ and and what does that mean? Saving faith really is simple. It's as simple as A and B and C where we admit and believe and commit. Saving faith begins when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you? Won't you? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit, we trust Jesus as Savior. Jesus, I'm not going to trust in my own good works anymore. I'm going to transfer my trust for my good works to what you've done for me. I'm trusting you for forgiveness and you for eternal life. 
It's saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you as Lord. I'm tired of living in rebellion against you, and I want to follow you. And if you've never done that, won't you? Won't you admit and believe and commit? And if you have, I want you to know we've been saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, for God, to enjoy him now and forever. Look at verse 10. We've not been saved by our good works, but we've been saved for good works, for we are his workmanship. <clears throat> you know what that word means? The, the, the Greek word there is poema, poema, that we're a poem. Isn't it? Isn't that great? That we're God's masterpiece. Every one of us is made unique because we're all made for unique good works. For we are his workmanship, his new creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What it means to be a Christian is God made me unique, and we get to wake up each day and discover the good, new, the good works that God has created for us so that we could walk in them. And isn't that what Jesus says to us as a Christians? Follow me, follow me into the good works that I've prepared for you. So back to 2 Peter, it says, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We should regard his patience to make sure we're saved. And certainly one of the good works that Jesus wants us to be involved in is seeing others saved. Just as also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Now, I want you to see several things here. The first thing that I want you to understand is Peter believed that Paul's letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, that they were scripture. He says these false teachers distort his letters like they do the rest of the scriptures, that they are our New Testament. So Peter believed that Paul's letters were scripture. Secondly, I, I want you to understand that there were false teachers, and what they did is they took some of the difficult things that Paul taught about Jesus' second coming, and they led people astray. There are always false teachers, and when it comes to Jesus' return, some of those false teachers say he's not coming back. He's not coming back. That's not true. That's one cliff. And the opposite cliff are those who say, I figured out when he's coming back. You know, that's not true because what did Jesus say? That no one would know, right? But Peter does acknowledge that some things Paul wrote were difficult to understand about his return. So I want to teach you a big word, but it's really, really important. It's the word pers, I can't say it, perspicuity. The perspicuity of Scripture. What that doctrine says is that the things necessary for salvation, the gospel, is so clear and so simple that anyone can understand it. Are there difficult things in the Bible? Yes. But the things that are necessary for salvation are so clear that even a child can understand it. That's the perspicuity of Scripture. So what are those things? Remember when Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. People ask me all kinds of questions about the Bible that I say, I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know. That's okay. But you know what I do know? I do know the gospel. I know that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he rose on the third day and that through believing in him we're saved, okay? I do know that. So listen as we continue on in the passage. Um, Verse 17, you therefore, since there are false teachers out there, you therefore, beloved, beloved by God, knowing this beforehand, that there are false teachers, be on your guard. Be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fail from your, fall from your own steadfastness. Peter wanted the readers to know Jesus so well, to know him so well that they wouldn't be led astray. Be on your guard. How do we keep from being led astray? He tells us, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Know Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Because if you know Jesus, you'll be able to spot false teachers. To him be the glory both now, both now and to the day of eternity. Um, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the gospel. Because if you know the gospel, you'll be well, well prepared to spot false teachers. And that's why a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we had a point that the gospel includes bad news and good news in our response. Remember, we learned the gospel includes bad news and good news in our response. You need to know that, first of all, so you can be saved. You need to know that so that you can share the gospel with others and see other people to be saved. You need to know that so that you can listen to teachers both in the church and in our culture and know who's speaking the truth and who's not. If you listen to a teacher and it's all good news and there's no bad news, you know what? It's not a true teacher. If you listen to someone and it's all bad news, but there's no good news, you know what? They're not a true teacher. If you're listening to someone teaching us why our country's so broken and they don't identify the problem as sin, you know they're not speaking the truth. If people are not sharing that the solution to our problems is Jesus, you know it's a false teacher. That's why we need to know the gospel, that it includes bad news and good news in our response. And then we took another week. We took another week and we walked through. It's important to know that the gospel is the one story of the Bible. There's four chapters. There's creation and fall and redemption and consummation. And you say, Smiley, you say that over and over again. The reason is you need to know it. Because it answers the questions, where did everything come from, and what went wrong, and how do we fix it, and where is history headed? You need to know it so that you're prepared to live in a hostile culture. You need to know it. You need to know it so that when you listen to teachers, you can listen and see whether they're true or false teachers. Are they teaching? Do they answer the questions the way God does? Where did everything come from, and what went wrong, and how do we fix it, and where is history going? You know why you also need to know it? So that when you're sharing your faith with people and they ask you questions, if you know those four chapters, you have the resources you need to answer their questions. I mean, recently we had the horrific tornadoes going through Kentucky, right? And and don't our friends ask us, if there is a God, why did he create a world with tornadoes that kill all these people in their beds, right? And so we know how to respond, right? Well, that's a really good question. But aren't we then prepared to say, listen, the world God created, there were no tornadoes. That's what, that's chapter one, right? 
It was perfect in God's creation. Listen, God's perfect creation, there were no tornadoes. Now, what's the person going to ask us then? Well, what happened? Well, what happened is our first parents, our first parents sinned against God, and that wrecked everything. That's why these terrible things happened. And then our friend's going to ask what? Why doesn't God do something, right? To which we say what? He has. He is. And he will. You see, we just celebrated Christmas, how God became a man to save us from our sins. He has. He is. Jesus is working throughout the world today, saving people, and he will. One day, chapter 4, right? He's coming back, and one day the earth will be filled with righteousness, and there will be no, no tornadoes there. Don't you want to be there? You see, you need to know the four chapters so that you understand the world we live in. Listen, so that you're not led astray, and so that you're equipped to answer the questions that people ask you. You can do it. You can do it. You really, really can. So, so far we've learned that Jesus is coming again. And now I want to turn from that. I want to help you be ready for that day. Uh, I, I want you to be ready whenever that day is. And so I have a very simple plan for you to be ready. Here's the action step for this message. It's called abide in him. Abide in him. Now remember the word abide means to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. What I want you to do this week is to be with your best friend and stay there no matter what. And I want you to see this comes right out of Scripture. In 1 John 2, now little children abide in him. Why is it so important? It's important because Jesus is coming back so that when he appears, whenever that is, he may, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If we're abiding in him, whenever he comes, we're going to be glad to see him. Um, you see, a lot of people, what they're trying to do is figure out when Jesus is coming back and then kind of get ready right before it happens. There's two problems with that. The first problem, it's hard to get the timing right, isn't it? I'll never forget, I read this article once, and I'm not making this up. It was how to survive different disasters. And one of the disasters that they had a plan to, to um to survive was if you're in an elevator and the cable breaks and you're free falling. You know what it said to do? There you go, jump. <laughs> jump, because if you timed it right and you jumped up when it hit the bottom, it would go much better than just being on the ground, right? But what's the problem with that plan? It's hard what? It's hard to time it right, isn't it? Because you don't know when it's going to hit the bottom. But that's what a lot of people are trying to do with Jesus' return. They look at the thief on the cross and think, that guy did it right. He had fun all of his life, and then he believed in Jesus and got to go to heaven. Um, well, I, he did time it better than the other thief, didn't he? <laughs> but if you think the one thief had fun all of his life and then got to go to heaven, here's my question for you. If you don't want to do life with Jesus, why in the world would you want to do eternity with him? If you think Jesus wants to make you miserable now, why in the world would you believe in him and spend eternity with him? And the reverse of that is, if you want to spend eternity with Jesus, I mean, if he's the most precious thing in the world to you, why wouldn't you want to do life with him, right? I mean, we don't have to wait until we die. We get to do life with Jesus, who is our best friend. 
You see, I don't like the idea of trying to time it right because, listen, there's two problems. I, I don't think I'd time it right, and not only that, but why wouldn't I want to do life with Jesus? What I want to do is, what do I want to be doing when Jesus comes back? You know what I want to be? I want to be abiding in Him, don't you? And, and then whenever He comes back, listen, I'll look forward to that day. So here's my plan, and I invite you to join me. What I want to do between now and then is spend time with my best friend. I love Jesus, don't you? I am so glad I get to do life with him, aren't you? And then as I spend time with my best friend, then I want to turn to my friends every day of my life, and I want to invite my friends to come and meet my best friend, don't you? We've been trying to equip you with that. We've been encouraging you. A lot of you have read through the New Testament with us this year. And every day we encourage you what? To spend time with your best friend, right? And to read his word, right? And then we've been trying to encourage you to do what? To pray his word. And then we've been trying to equip you to go and tell your friends, you won't believe what I learned about Jesus today, right? Imagine we would do that all the time. We would start our day by spending time with our best friend. And then we'd go and tell our friends about our best friend. And I want you to cultivate that, not only with spending time with Jesus and his word, but what if that was our practice with worship? That Sunday was the best day of the week. We get to come together and be with our best friend. And then as we're here, we're sitting here thinking, man, I've got a friend who really needs to hear what we heard today. Who's that person in your life? Who's that person who would really love to hear what you're Won't you go to them and say, listen, I went to church today, and you know what we learned about Jesus? He's coming back. Did you know that? Do you believe that? Are you ready for that? Would you like to be? You can do it. You really, really can. The Lord is not slow about his Promise is some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any, but for all to come to repentance. You can go to that person and say, listen, today, the day is open, the door is open. But one day it will be too late. Don't wait till it's too late. Today's the day to believe. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for coming. Coming and living and dying and rising so we could live forever. And Jesus, we're so thankful that you're coming back soon. You're coming back soon and heaven's going to come to earth and we're going to get new bodies and get to live with you forever and that person, with that person and in that place that we long for in our hearts. Listen, if... If you've never prepared for that person in place, won't you now? If you've never been saved, won't you be saved from God, by God, and for God? I mean, Jesus is here. Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark it on the, your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray all of us who have received you that, that we would abide in you every day so that whenever you come, you would find us doing exactly what you wanted us to. 
Lord, I pray that we would get up each day and, and we would spend time with our best friend. And then every day that you give us here on earth, we would go to our other friends and invite them to come and to meet our best friend. For we pray in Jesus' name.